This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits. I'm joined by EPFR's in-house economist, Cameron Brandt. And we're going to walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the various data sets EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll be looking out for in the weeks ahead. Cam, good morning. How are you holding up these days? Uh, Not bad in my isolation chamber here. There's obviously a lot of different dynamics that we're looking at in any given day. What do you think were the two big stories coming out of this week past? Right. The the two big stories uh, that we saw in the fund flows this past week were the surge in flows into equity funds and the continued flows into money market funds. I'll start with the equity fund flows, which were obviously somewhat less surprising given the rebound we saw in some of the major equity markets last week. Uh, the flows were very much concentrated uh, in U.S. equity funds, which benefited from the perception that uh, U.S. Federal Reserve has decided to follow the Mario Draghi uh, do-what-it-takes model in terms of combating uh, this crisis and the willingness of U.S. lawmakers to open the taps. The other equity fund group that saw significant inflows uh, was the Japan equity fund group. There, you always have to be careful interpreting the flows because the Bank of Japan has consistently been uh, supporting that market through direct purchases of ETFs. Europe equity funds recorded inflows. which was slightly surprising to me, given that uh, policymakers there are still struggling to come up with a common front. Um, But I think that investors predict that sheer necessity will force uh, a sea change in the thinking of especially uh, common financial instruments to fight the fallout from the COVID-19 epidemic. And again, checking the preliminary daily data uh, for yesterday, those flows continued. As for the second big story, uh, have money market flows continued their record pace in the past few days? Uh, Yes, they have, Todd. (laughs) Last week's flows were down inverted commas to only $101 which is an enormous amount uh, for this group to absorb week in, week out. And I was quite struck by some research done by our colleagues at iMoneyNet, whose core business is the, uh, the tracking and analysis of U.S. and European money market industries. Their research showed that <clears throat> really as a result of trying to ingest of this huge amount of cash that certainly in the taxable fund universe, just in the course of a week, you know, the seven-day average yield has dropped from 0.37%, 37 basis points down to 28%, which is a sharp one-week drop. And at the same time, to get even that reduced yield, the the fund managers are being forced to increase the uh, maturity of their asset base. Went over the past week, the weighted average maturity went from 36 days to 38 days. 
So historically, EM markets obviously have tended to experience quite a bit of pain uh, than developed markets in, in situations like we're facing. Are you seeing that play out this time around as yes, well? Yes, uh, certainly this past week, while all of the major developed markets equity fund groups did attract fresh cash, the emerging markets equity funds that we track collectively posted uh, their eighth straight outflow. Uh, but there were some uh, interesting currents beneath the sort of general trend of redemptions. Year to date, uh, emerging markets ETFs have actually uh, taken in a modest amount of money, uh, just over $5 billion, and have also managed to outperform actively managed um, emerging markets equity funds, which goes against the conventional narrative uh, in that generally assume that in periods of turmoil, especially in the more idiosyncratic emerging markets, uh, an active manager is more likely to be able to navigate the currents. The other thing that uh, I saw last week that was certainly different was that over the past uh, you know, six weeks or so prior to last week, investors had been approaching this asset class, certainly the ones that express it through mutual funds, uh, by selling the overall story. And, and, and that by that, I mean that they were taking money out of the diversified global emerging markets, Latin America regional, Ajax, Japan regional funds, but showing a fairly strong willingness to buy buy into individual markets that had uh, a good story, uh, especially in relation to their uh, strategy for uh, combating the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Last week, that switched around a bit, uh, not dramatically, but enough that I, it was evident. Um, very few of the um, major country fund groups had any meaningful inflows. Uh, I'd also say most of them didn't have terribly bad outflows either. Um, but we saw, de saw a definite uptick uh, in a number of the regional uh, groups, uh, Latin America regional funds in particular, uh, saw a big bounce in their flows. Among the uh, country fund groups, uh, the ones that tended to do best were those in the EMEA universe, uh, which I think was tied to the assumption that uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, are going to make nice on their uh, production dispute. So I know your team has been doing a lot of research on a daily basis, uh, putting out uh, a new daily item called the EPFR Daily Exchange. Uh, I saw a piece about South Africa on Friday. Would you mind walking us through that a bit? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, South Africa is uh, an interesting market on a number of levels. The most developed market on the African continent. Uh, it has been very popular uh, among fixed income investors as, as a yield play. It is historically one of the first markets you think about when gold starts to become in great demand. It has had a tough time, especially on a governance front uh, in recent years. And as a result of that, uh, running slap bang into the global COVID-19 pandemic, uh, at the end of March, it lost its final investment grade credit rating. 
And that's when Moody stripped them of their uh, yes, of that last yes. rating. Moody's had been the last holdout. Uh, Fitch and Standard and Poor's did it back in 2017. So this has a number of, of implications. Uh, the obvious one is that uh, funds uh, whose mandate limits them to investment grade debt uh, are now facing uh, the need to move their South Africa holdings off the books. But uh, it what is of interest, I think, is that uh, after a, an initial short, sharp reaction, especially among the South Africa bond funds, we've seen something of a rebound in flows to both the uh, the bond funds uh, and uh, the equity funds. Uh, there are a number of reasons for this. Uh, on the bond side, Frankly, South Africa debt has been sort of treated as, as 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 being at the top end of the high yield spectrum for some time, and there is a, a broader theme that has sort of supported South Africa in recent years, which is that rough as things get in South Africa, they tend to be not as rough as things that are happening both politically and economically in other corners of the continent. So what we've noticed here developing sort of over the past 10 years is investors moving away from seeking multiple points of exposure to Africa's story, which is quite popular um, given its dynamism, Africa's demographics, uh, and its historic lack of correlation with what goes on in the more developed markets and the more established emerging markets. But there's been a move away from this sort of multi-point approach to simply investing in South African companies that have a uh, broad exposure to to the African continent as a whole. Have we seen this sort of downgrade play out amongst any other countries during uh, your time with EPFR looking at the flow data? We've certainly had a number of case studies, if, you, if you'd like to put it like that, relating to Argentina. But what uh, happened with Argentina was that the repeated fiscal crises uh, have reduced uh the amount of money committed there uh, through mutual funds and especially through dedicated Argentina funds to to uh, to minimal levels so the comparison is difficult to make so to be honest no uh, south africa is is something of of a unique case especially because of its gateway position to uh, the african continent as a whole Kim, you mentioned Russia and Saudi Arabia. Obviously, they've been in the news quite a bit lately. Uh, do you think that sentiment is starting to change into the, the movements we've seen with physical oil and energy funds recently? Good question. What we have seen uh, with uh, the energy funds that we track recently might at first blush appear to be very counterintuitive and perhaps even a massive expression of short interest. <clears throat> but energy sector funds have, in terms of flows, been one of the stars of the past six, seven weeks, um, taking in significant sums week in, week out. Uh, the latest week, they took in over $2 billion again. But what we've seen historically, and by historically, I'm, I'm going back to the beginning of the last decade, is that when oil prices have gone down, the investing community has really broadly interpreted that as an, as, as an opportunity. Uh, it seems to be a point of conviction that uh, 
if oil prices go down, they will go back up again. And what we have seen during the past two sharp declines in uh, oil prices is uh, a solid, or even in the in the case uh, around 2013, a really spectacular run up in flows into energy funds, and that money stayed there. It, it turned out mostly to be longer term bets on uh, a rebound in the fortunes of the major energy producers. And do you think the their their history of paying dividends in a lot of cases plays into that or or perhaps how the the industry has fared in the past? I I certainly think the track record of paying dividends uh is is sort of a, a useful piece of insurance for them in terms of investor support uh, and that's likely to only become more important as we move forward the uh very necessary um monetary and fiscal responses to the COVID crisis are certainly not positive for the for yields overall. The chance to cheaply access um, stocks that have a really good track record of paying decent dividends is one of the factors that uh, is driving money into this particular fund group. And this was actually one of the topics you and the team had covered in our March 30th edition of the EPFR Daily Exchange. So it sounds like something you're going to be watching on the regular over the next few weeks. Yes, yes. Um, And uh, obviously rising oil prices, (laughs) while it will reward uh, the people that have steered these significant sums uh, into energy funds is a mixed blessing. There are a number of markets, uh, Japan, Korea, and India spring to mind where uh, these very low oil prices are a major blessing in these difficult times. So what are you and the team going to be watching or looking for over the upcoming week? I, I'll, I'll focus in on one thing, which is the uh, there's plenty of confusion about how all of this is going to play out. Uh, and how uh, the way it plays out will affect different asset classes. Perhaps nowhere is that confusion more evident in the whole question of inflation and what happens to prices going forward. Um, You have a huge demand shock. uh, And again, in Europe, uh, the talk is largely of deflation. But on the other hand, uh, you have a massive uh, monetary and fiscal stimulus response, um, which certainly in conventional economics should translate into higher prices. Throw into the mix the fact that the overall shock is closing a lot of factories, shuttering a lot of mines. So uh, going forward, when demand does ramp up, uh, it's not a given that the supply is going to be there to meet it. And getting a fix on the uh, inflationary equation is pretty difficult. Recently, we've seen really large outflows from our inflation-protected bond funds, but I have a feeling that that has more to do with the general trend Uh, of liquidating quality assets uh, to minimize uh, losses as you move to cash. We get our first inflation figures, uh, sort of post-crisis sets of inflation figures uh, 
uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and though the broad consensus is uh, that they aren't going to be worth a hill of beans, given the sheer chaos <laughs> that uh, they've emerged from, I still think that there will be uh, worthwhile clues in them. Great. Thank you, Cam. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR exchange podcast at informa.com. <laughs>